0: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees rate for new customers for limited time Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows Full terms at mintmobile.com Have a listen to this Have a listen to this
2: <laughs> Now that kind of talk this week dragged Australia's
1: share market to a two-year low Who is the Stephen
0: Bradbury of course complex reasons Bradbury for that. Of He was business. the big spender right. The big spender Doing Mr. the grocery 28. shopping
1: 28. could take a huge
0: chunk out of the family budget And that's
2: finance. Hello, and welcome to Comedian versus Economist. We demystify the world of money and help you get a handle on the bigger picture. My name's Adam, and I'm joined, as always, by my little older brother and real life economist, Thomas. Hi, Thomas.
1: Yeah, good day, Adam. How are we?
2: I'm doing very well, thank you. I'm a little bit nervous for this episode because, um, A, I have absolutely no idea what it's about, and I've done no prep whatsoever. Um, because you've just come at me and you've gone, hey, why don't we do an episode about the weaponization of freedom? Mm. And look, I'm all for it. Um, I, think it's, I think it's good. I've got my guns. I'm loaded. I'm ready to go. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um,
2: what are you talking about? What are you, what are you talking about with the weaponization of freedom?
1: Yeah, I think this is an idea that, that I've been sort of stewing around in my mind for a little bit, but I think COVID has presented – a number of challenges so we're a year on from COVID, and looking back at how it's all played out it's kind of in the rearview mirror enough to to fig, you know draw a few lessons mm. and one of the lessons that I'm drawing is that freedom makes democracies vulnerable okay so you look at so the key stat here is what happens for the in the u.s. the u.s. experience so you had, u.s. at the time of recording has five hundred thousand dead They've got 4% of the world's population, and yet they account for 20% of COVID deaths. And America, until recently, well, in the until the later stages of 2020 at least, was really struggling to pull together a coordinated, sensible approach to COVID and to deal with it properly.
2: Yeah. There was a – yeah, I mean, the leader was a lunatic. That didn't help. mm
1: I think it definitely didn't help. I think it definitely didn't help.
2: <laughs> Not so much a lunatic. Well, I mean, you know, I don't want to get all political and there'll be some that, that say he was a visionary of course and things like that. But um, but he certainly seemed like he was a large part of the problem in in response to COVID. You know, there was there was an initial denial of, of the fact and everything else. Mm. From what I saw. I don't know. Yeah. Stand to be corrected. But and I don't want to make this a political political show or, or have any political biases really, but um, but yeah he didn't help the situation i don't think
1: no no he probably didn't but also like he was operating in a political a particular political context where he was the champion of a very particular form of libertarianism or a particular form of freedom which mm. was very anti-government in sort of its general posturing and so even though the COVID response seemed to demand a strong coordinated public policy response his political instincts and, and political posture up until that point and the way he was engaging with his base made it very difficult for him to be able to embrace a coordinated top down government level response mm. so that's part of the challenge there that yeah like the the particular that brand of the of the US right had very had aligned itself with you know being very anti-government by nature but COVID presented itself as the perfect case of when you really do need a government because you do need a coordinated response. You do need to get people on the same page very quickly. Uh, and America really struggled to do that. And so the, the counter example to the American experience is the Chinese experience and the Chinese government and the communist party, regime was free to do whatever they wanted. You know, regardless of how it was sort of seen, because it's a one-party state, there's no, there's democracy is not in effect. There's no, co- there's no yep. competition, so it's really what it, they get to choose whatever they want, and they were able to just really go like, well, what's the best solution? What stops the most people dying in in the shortest amount of time? And let's just do that.
2: So they they didn't have to they didn't have to go to a essentially a public vote and get a get approval for. You know, a particular course of action. They could just go. This is what we're doing. You know, and, and that's the end of it.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. They don't. They don't. They don't even have to go and build consensus. You know, like, and I think Australia, the experience was interesting. I think we there was Australians. I think such a pragmatic people. They sort of went like, oh, okay, this is just what needs to be done. All right, let's get on board. And there were some elements that were a bit, you know, were resistant and concerned about. the the government response but you know by and large people just got on got on got on with it and did what was needed to be done and I think we're lucky that we we're never really tested too much like I think if you know Victor if Melbourne had to go into another lockdown I think then you would really see you know how deep is that consensus how you know how strong is it but China didn't have to deal with that didn't have to deal with democracy didn't have to drive a public policy response through democratic channels through the lenses of you know a competing parliamentary system and so it was really free to do whatever it wanted um Mm. and did some you know phenomenal things like there was a, a case of an outbreak in a province and officials got in and covid tested 20 million people in in two days
2: what really yeah
1: yeah incredible yeah, yeah, because they just got in lockdown, locked down the region, got in massive testing yeah, wow. units, got everyone on board, and and peop- and just tested everyone. So you know, you're trying to think about doing that in in Australia or America is just like inconceivable almost.
2: Well, that's nearly the population of Australia. Yeah. twenty million people. I mean, that's
1: yeah, it's a lot of people. It's a medium-sized city in China.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, amazing. I mean, it's a good point. So the, you know, you, you can't help but feel that whatever decisions that politicians are making here in Australia or in the US, they always have to do it with one eye on what it's going to look like or what the mm. perceptions going to be of of them or as of them as leaders or of them as politicians, what it's going to do to their chances in the upcoming election, what it's going to mean for for the chances of the party being re-elected. Therefore, what's it going to mean for their job security? (laughs) You know, like (laughs) there's a lot, there's a kind of a lot riding on the decisions that politicians make. And I know they get paid, you know, to make the decisions, but you kind of, you kind of lose that, that total objectiveness about the problem. If you are trying to protect something else at the same time, if you're trying to protect your position or protect, I don't know, whatever Mm. it might be, your point of view, then you can't deal with a problem like COVID with pure objectivity yeah I
1: think yeah that's that's close to I mean I don't think the the CCP has the luxury of complete uh, objectivity around problems as well they have particular agendas that they've got to you know create policy through but Mm. and, and to be consistent with but yeah I think much more in terms of like a health crisis and in a way a health crisis should be a relatively simple crisis to respond to you know, it should be, people are getting sick, we want to stop them dying, this is what we have to do to stop people dying. That's a relatively easy yeah, crisis.
2: Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, I don't know, I think you're trivializing it a bit by saying it's an easy crisis. I mean, because every every action has a, has a you know, equal and opposite reaction or whatever the saying is. So, you know, you you stop people getting sick. Well, if you you could do that by putting everyone in a box, you lock everyone in a box, and you you give them a, some food and coming through a straw in the roof, and no one gets sick. But then everyone has some has a pretty bad time because they're locked in a box, <laughs> and you've got a range of other issues to deal with. Cramp, you got <laughs> <laughs> depending on how big the box is. <laughs> Magnesium deficiency. More. <laughs> Magnesium <laughs> <laughs> That's right. No vitamin D because no one put a window in the box. Uh, um, no, but I mean, no, yeah. There's some serious, some serious ramifications of just locking everyone up. That's.
1: I, I, I guess, I guess, so, I guess so. but still, I mean, it's more like say inequality is another thing you could say is a crisis. Inequality is getting worse across right, the yeah. Western world. Is creating problems. There's unequal access to healthcare. Education, all these sort of things, but like try and build a consensus around that—that's—that's that's hard, you know. Like, or the opioid crisis in America, like try to build a cri- like a consensus around that—that's harder. Like, as I was just saying, like a pandemic, relatively, like it's—it's it's a you know it's a massive challenge, obviously, but re- <laughs> <laughs> relatively,
2: <laughs> you heard it here first on comedian versus economist. <laughs> pandemic, pretty easy to solve, really.
1: Yeah. No one asked me. <laughs> Oh, I, I could have told them. <laughs> If
2: Only they'd come to Thomas the Economist <laughs> when the pandemic broke. <laughs> we'd all be <laughs> we'd all be living in a box. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, but this this is this is the point. This point. Like, I like. So, there's. The, it was a real test for liberal democracies. COVID was a real test because authoritarian regimes were able to mount a unopposed, straightforward response. Science-based, we're just able to go, this is what we're doing, everyone's getting on board, that's it, end of story. Liberal democracies didn't have that luxury and and struggled as a result, I think.
2: Well, we did well. Like, hang on, we did well in Australia. We
1: did well. but well, we're, we're doing well. We, yeah, but we've got a big moat. That's a big help. True. Um, and was, the outbreak was very small and we got on top of it very quickly. And our, our the policy response, you know, locking down Melbourne, that was – a strong response and so we we were you know lucky enough i think that australia australia actually there's a, a survey i saw of like how much populations trust their governments australians trust their government more than almost any other western democracy really yeah it's
2: got marketing
1: yeah that's what it's i thought about the same government about. yeah
2: <laughs> <laughs> right
1: maybe people thought they're talking about council
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: They're very reliable for my yeah. But you know who's number one? China. Like something like eighty percent. Well
2: yeah, they, they got told to they got told to put number one on the the form.
1: Probably that. But they're probably also <laughs> like
2: <laughs> Here, do this survey. This is how you fill it out. Oh.
1: Okay. <laughs> it probably is some. there probably is some of that. But I also think like Chinese people, in my experience and, and as it's presented to us in the West are, are you know, patriotic by nature. they are quite down with what their government is about like there's a sort of a particular Mm. enculturation that that seems to be happening in china that supports the chinese communist party yeah um you know it's not it's it's that result that statistic's not an accident but yeah like but yeah we we australia is is there were a few things we had going for us in our factor and we're relatively like sort of pragmatic and we don't get too worked up about politics
2: No, I, get, I get we're not well I don't know you know we saw yeah you know, we see we see protests and people marching on the streets here I mean we don't get violent about it I think it's probably fair to say but maybe things Australia's got a pretty good way of life I guess so it's I don't know by yeah. and large I mean no, there's issues don't get me wrong but, yeah
1: um no I mean def- but, but, but def- compared we- to Europe for example like the French mm. or the Spanish or the Italians we don't we don't have a culture of protest. You know, it's very unusual that we get you know mass mobilizations of people. But the point, the point, the the point is that it, that it, having a democracy slows you down. It 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 you're not as agile as a one party state. Mm. But I would argue that that's a price worth paying. It's worth being slow to do that democratic work, get everybody on on bol- involved, not crush people's freedoms in the name of any one particular agenda, and. If that means being a bit slower, then, then fair enough. But COVID sort of makes you ask the question like, well, what price are people willing to pay for democracy? How slow are you willing to be? Mm. Yeah, so it, 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 it's a chink in the armour of a country like America and it's shown itself to be. You know, America had a really pretty brutal experience it seemed to almost lead to a revolution.
2: Yeah, we'll start started this year
1: with people storming the Capitol building, storming the wearing, Capitol. wearing masks and horns. Yeah. Um, so what I'm talking about like with the weaponization of freedom is that I think authoritarian regimes are looking at this experience and going like, that's a weak point.
2: Tell you what, before we get into that more, why don't we take a quick break, we'll grab a word from our sponsor and then we'll come back and we'll talk, find out more about this weaponization of freedom as you put it back soon.
0: That's BlueNile.com.
2: Hi again, you're on Comedian versus Economist. We're talking about the weaponization of freedom. And Thomas, you were saying before the break that authoritarian regimes maybe see democracy as a sign of weakness. Can you tell us a bit Mm. more about that?
1: Yeah, I I think that looking at the COVID experience, looking at the struggles America has had, because they allow for a diversity of opinions within the political system. It's like it's it's built on having a diversity of opinions, and that's that's what democracy is, and that's what's awesome about it. But it it slows down the, the crisis response, and so I think China, China, and Russia, and other authoritarian regimes, like if you're looking to take down the U.S., you would see this as a chink in the armor, and see it as a potential point to exploit, and that if you can create this tension and drive these tensions that prevent consensus being reached that prevent collective unified action then you weaken mm-hmm. america and you weaken america's strategic position and i think we saw that with russia and their influencing the the us elections and getting into twitter and facebook and pumping out different conspiracy theories and different things and People, some people say, I say that, you know, Russia's pro Trump because they're, they like military strongmen or whatever. But I, I think Russia's game there is really just like, let's well, just like inflame division because as long as there's division, then it's difficult for them to get anything done.
2: Yeah. You can't, you can't have a coordinated response against Russia. If, they, you know, as if there's, if there's infighting going on within the United States, if there's, um you know, there's disharmony there, then. Again, it's like they're not worried about you. You're kind of creating a distraction. It's like, hey, guys, mm. like, what do it with my kids all the time? You know, I mean? <laughs>
1: invade Iraq and stuff. <laughs>
2: yeah, <couple> kids. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, like if you if you just want them to focus on something else, you go like, oh, whose turn is it to watch TV? <laughs> <laughs> that's my turn. It's like, well, good, I'm no, not asking about lollies anymore. <laughs>
1: yeah that that's that's how politics works by and large i think (laughs) so i think yeah it's 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 a it's a challenge and i think we live in the it's it's where that kind of influence and that kind of where meddling has sort of political meddling has sort of got to the stage where russia is just trolling people on the on facebook like it's kind of weird but then you know, social media has this ability to reach such a huge number of people. You have this sort of polarization happening through Facebook and social media algorithms already so that they're, on, they're only seeing, they're living in bubbles, they're only getting the opinions of things that they already agree with. So that's sort of pushing people to the edges already. Um, yeah, and I think that, that yeah, like uh, outside actors can, can see that as a, as a point of weakness and try to, you know, weaponize that. So that, that freedom, that's what I'm talking about, like weaponizing that freedom as a tool against democracies.
2: Right. Is there, do you reckon, is there a middle ground between, between democracy and authoritarianism in that could you kind of have someone that you just like a, you could call someone like the big red button. It's like, right, when things go bad, we're just going to do whatever this, this, this person says. This, this person in time, times of crisis is our supreme leader. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's not going to be ScoMo, it's yeah. going to be someone 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 else, mm. um, someone Rudd. who's not
1: <laughs> like Alan, David Boone.
2: Da- <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it's a global pandemic. <laughs> what do we do, Boone? <laughs> yeah, like I don't know. Is there is there a way, like, is it a case of one or the other? Can you have a democracy, but it, that then have some sort of some sort of a safety blanket or some sort of a uh, you know
1: typically typically those kind of emergency powers haven't worked well in the past right people just start redefining what an emergency is yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) no i mean seriously like that's kind of how every like dictator has taken control is is through like using a crisis to grant themselves emergency powers that just then never never get unwound I, th- I think my feeling is that the solution is in the social fabric and is, is in the cultural fabric and it's about creating a bit like I think, you know, I think Australia's maybe oddly enough ahead of the game here a bit. Like I think having that sort of level of pragmatism but also like having having a way that we can have these discussions that it doesn't end up polarising into ridiculous positions, that we can have a... A fact-based scientific discussion—you know—bring ra- bring out dissenting voices, bring out differing opinions, but then weave them into the mix and still find a way forward. And I think the key to that is civic engagement and and people taking an interest and in getting involved and holding leaders to account.
2: Yeah, so that's one. That's that's your solution, which mm-hmm. is it's not bad.
1: You had a big red button. I know where we. Well- <laughs>
2: I've just been penciling one in over here, just been doodling. I've got some some early designs, some, 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 some concept art. <laughs> no, well, I personally, you know, uh, while we're giving away our personal opinions here, I think that we need to take away the ulterior motives from the politicians. So, so you can't have the people in charge who whose livelihoods and and careers rest on the outcomes of the decisions that they make, like. You, you can't, as we were saying before, you can't remain objective in that space. You mentioned scientists and um, and researchers and whatever else who. I, I'd much. I, I like it when when a scientist comes on the telly and starts talking about COVID. I don't really like it when a politician comes on the telly and starts talking about COVID. And because I I find, and maybe it's a trust thing. You mentioned that the Australians trust the government more than anyone else. Um, I don't. That doesn't resonate with me. I, I find. Not that I have a distrust for them, but but everything's spun so much these days. Everything's yeah. so rehearsed and practiced that that I don't even know that there's any point listening to to no, generally there's the, not. the speeches anymore because because they're, they're not they're not the just the facts. They're, they're spun to make to present a certain way that that is going to protect you mm. know their interests. And so yeah. to me they're con- they're conflicting ideals. When you go well, we've got someone here who's Who needs a popular vote like that's the way to stay in is you get the pop you win the popular vote therefore you need to be popular and
1: so how do you but i think i think you look at what happened in australia i think australians rallied behind their leaders leaders had strong you know opinion polls all through the early stages of COVID, and there was a real tolerance for mistakes so you know in victoria the Uh, Covid escaped the hotel quarantine and got out into the broader community Melbourne had to go into lockdown Dan Andrews as a premier didn't cop any flack for that in the polls as far as we saw because people were like it's a crisis we don't expect you to get this 100% right we expect you to do Mm. your best we expect you to put in the hours and to take it seriously but if you don't nail it it's an unprecedented crisis we're not gonna hold you fully responsible for that and I think so I think that 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 was that was kind of democracy working really well i think that was a, go- a great case of of people going like okay there's a crisis you have a crack do your best if you are it up here and there that's okay just keep doing your best and and i think leaders took that on and genuinely
2: yeah i think that in particularly in dan andrew's case and across the board like like the um premieres across the board did outstandingly well by and large throughout COVID. Mm. i think and and you know and yeah, yeah i think at a
1: federal yeah. level too like i think i'm like generally not a you know going yeah. into no, i guess
2: when i when i talk about you know the the sound bites that you get and the the speeches and whatever that's more generally i guess i'm thinking more general day-to-day political announcements and political whatever that just become noise they become mm. pointless in yeah. listening to because yeah. they don't actually mean anything so um you know promises are, during elections are just like what are they worth it's you know, so they're all just—they all just become sort of noise that that doesn't mean anything, and that's why that's when I'd much rather hear from from scientists and and people who research different topics and understand them and can give mm-hmm. you know in depth in depth accounts of, of reasons why they're doing X Y Z and 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 be honest and be open about that this isn't the perfect solution and that what I'm proposing here isn't the silver bullet that's going to fix everything um, as a lot of people. You know, a lot of i think politicians often try and make try and sell things they don't they don't present them they try and sell them as a solution so
1: yeah 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 no i think yeah that's all right I, I think we did we did listen to the science there was a real hunger media agencies pivoted towards the scientists because that's what people wanted to hear from and i think you yeah, know props to the australian people for that i think it was really good i mean i think there's a, there's another flavour in the american culture and american libertarianism that is an extra spin on it and we don't have such a strong concept of that here like I, I love Scott Scott Galloway is a tech investor but he says the the great challenge America faces is that too many people have conflated Liberty with selfishness they, they, th- they think that being free is the same as having is being totally selfish and having no responsibility um, they think Liberty is a birthright that no longer requires sacrifice or collective action and I think that's that's sort of like the interesting thing is like the the freedoms that we enjoy we enjoy because at some point we got together collectively and created them and continue to collectively empower them and enforce them. So we're, liberal democracies are, are constantly dancing with this individual freedom and the collective good. But there, there's a real drive in America and, and sort of like the, and QAnon and that that kind of crew really sort of picked up. That and sort of and ram with it hard was that you know there was no need for any collective action and it was all about preserving individual freedoms at all costs and that's you know it's a that's a that's a vulnerable position because sooner or later you're going to bump up against something that needs a collective response.
2: Yeah, so so everyone can't have their own stance. Freedom is not a a personal thing; it's a collective thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, the freedom of the individual is is guaranteed by the collective.
2: Mm. Interesting. All right, well, I reckon we need to wrap it up there, but this has been a fascinating discussion. I had no idea where this was heading at the start, so uh, hopefully it's been enjoyable uh, and informative for the listeners out there. I'm sure – I think there, there's almost certainly um, – there's going to be some some viewpoints on this there's going to be some comments i'm sure that we've made along the journey that people are going to agree with and some that they're going to vehemently de- disagree with which is totally cool thankfully we live in a democratic society so you're more than welcome to have your say you can of course send us an email cve at equitymates.com or head over to the website equitymates.com forward slash cve we'd love getting your emails and your feedback so keep those coming through uh until next time we'll catch you later
1: Comedian vs Economist is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Comedian vs Economist are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial
0: circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement
1: and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast.